Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. So it's, it's good to be here this morning. We're, it's going to be a little different than last week. Uh, we're going over a much smaller and easier to read book. We're going over Ruth. So, but before we get into it, um, I like to go over each week of what we learned the, the previous classes. So this week will be the easiest. We just have to go give like a one or two sentence summary of, the, of what Judges was about. Can anyone take a crack at that? Just a one or two sentence summary of the theme of Judges. Now putting you on the spot early this morning, but I believe in you guys. Maybe. The little cycle. Is yeah, the cycle. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Great. No. Yeah. They, so yeah, they would, they would, disobey, right? They would be oppressed. They would cry out to God because of that oppression. And there's a period of peace. Uh, God, well, God sent a judge, and then there's a period of peace. So very good. So. And then a key verse from that, from Judges, was in those days there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in their, in their own eyes. So that is a, the big takeaway of Judges. Um, but like I said, our time today will be spent going through Ruth, okay? Um, it's an interesting book. Uh, it's, in itself is a redemption story. Uh, we see a key theme, a stranger being brought into the family of God, Ruth being brought into the family of God. Um, Ruth is only four chapters long, so we could probably read it in the time we have today, but we're not going to, okay? So it's a contrast from Judges. Uh, it's, 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 it's a story. It's a nice story. It has good flow. It's unlike Judges. It's unlike First and Second Samuel and Kings. It's kind of fit in. Right after Judges, does anyone know why it's put right after Judges, Ruth? Because it happened during Judges. I think that, that's why. Uh, no crazy thing, but it, it is set at during the time of Judges. That's the first sentence in the, in the book. It's, it's, a tough, uh, it's tough to actually pinpoint. So here's, here's where it fits into the timeline. I don't know if you can see that, but those... These uh, QR codes, they have this on there. So right here, about 1500 BC, uh, we got Moses, where he started uh, out of the Exodus. Uh, and then we have Ruth, which is during the, t the time of Judges. So it's about 1300 BC. It's tough to actually know the exact time, but that's a rough estimate. It gives us what we need. Uh, we know that it is during the time of the judges because it tells us that it's during the time of the judges. Uh, it was after the Moabite oppression. We talked last week about how the Moabites oppressed Israel and then Ehud uh, delivered them. So that's kind of where it's at. It's a peaceful period after uh, the Moabite oppression. So getting into the historical setting here. Uh, the, bu the Book of Ruth illustrates a peaceful time period. It's, it's about a family of the tribe of Judah uh, who leaves Bethlehem to sojourn in Moab. 
because of a severe famine in the land. So although there's no enemies against them right now, there is still a famine in the land. There's still, uh, there's still hardships going on. Uh, and as we talked about last week, God oppressed the Israelites during the time of Judges. He tried to turn their hearts to them, to him. He did this uh, through other nations, but he also did this through famine, like what's going on now. So there was suffering from hunger. There was a potential for starvation. So that, that kind of puts us at the story of Ruth. It's, it's more of a zoomed-in view of, of a family in Israel as opposed to more of the overview that Judges gives us. It's a story of real people. It's a story of real difficulties, real experiences. It's pretty easy to relate to. We, in this story, we see the need to work, to make a living in order to eat. We see the joys of the family. We see the joy and hope that a new life will bring. We see pains of death. There's going to be a mother who lo loses her husband and her two sons. It's, it's, it's painful. Uh, we see parting from relatives. Ruth's going to go away from her home in, in obedience to the Lord. It's also a great example of a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship, which, as you guys know, can be kind of tenuous at times. It can be a little, you know, a little difficult. So it's a very applicable book. A lot of things talked about are things we go through. Uh, maybe not meeting our future spouse on the threshing floor, but who knows? You never know. There are a lot of things we can glean from this book. So some themes I want to focus on is uh, God's providence. It's, it's evident throughout. So just kind of when we're going through that, be thinking about God's workings in the life of ordinary people uh, like you and me. And then another uh, thing I want to focus on is what a true life-changing conversion means. What, is, what does that look like um, to be, be a believer? So... Getting into it, we broke it up into four parts here. The first part, small, it's, it's the emigration to Moab. It's introduction and why, why they left Israel, why they left Bethlehem. Part two is, is the return uh, to Judah. Naomi is, is now a widow. Sorry, spoiler. She, her, uh, her husband dies, her sons die, uh, and she returns to Bethlehem with Ruth, which is her daughter-in-law. And then part three We'll, we'll, talk, we'll see Ruth and Boaz, the story of how they, they meet and uh, how Boaz provides for Ruth and uh, eventually redeems Ruth. And uh, part four is the last couple paragraphs. It tells us of their son, Ruth and uh, Boaz's son, Obed. He, Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. David. Good. So that's, that's what the story's about. God... God wants to make it clear to us that his plan has, his plan is, and will always come to pass. Um, he has a plan and a purpose. Even in the chaos of judges that we read about last week, he had a plan and a purpose. Um, Ruth was a Moabite woman who had no inheritance in God until God chose her to be married to a man of Israel. It's just kind of a crazy, cool story. Um, so let's, let's get into it. Okay, part one. Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they are from the tribe of Judah, and they lived in Bethlehem. Um, so they, 
sojourned away from Bethlehem. You see that red up in the top left, the, kind of the marking here. So they went from Bethlehem around and down to the land of Moab. That was the journey, probably about, I don't know, 60 miles or so. Um, they fled because, of, as I said, a severe famine. Out of desperation, Elimelech had to sell his ancestral land to pay off debts. And so they go on this journey with their, their two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, to the east, crossing over the River Jordan, as you see there, and down uh, into the land of Moab. It doesn't give us a whole lot of information about their time in the land of Moab. It pretty much just tells us that Elimelech died pretty soon after they entered the land. So he died pretty much right away. And after he died, their, their sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And after uh, they had been in the land for 10 years, Malon and Kilian also die. So not, not good. They're, the plan to go and save their, themselves from the famine, it didn't work. So, all the males died. And all this happens in the first five verses of Ruth. So there's obviously a lot of details left out. Kind of makes you wonder, was the family, was, was Elimelech following God? Was he, was he seeking to, to please God? Why would he go to a land of strangers for refuge? Just things that were in my mind. Why? why? To, to leave the land that God had given them to sojourn with the people who had just oppressed them for years. The Moabites were literally oppressing them years before, and, and so they, they decide to go and be with them to, to be saved. It doesn't make sense. So he hopes to do his family good, but in the end, leaving them, he left them in a, in a worse position than before. So now Naomi is left a widow with no sons for an inheritance. And at this point, Naomi is the decision maker of the home. Um, she has just lost all the male figures in her life. She has nothing. No land as widows, as a widow, no, no one to earn an income. Uh, she's responsible for her two widow daughter-in-laws. But she heard also that the Lord has visited her people back home and given them food. So she decides to go back home to Bethlehem. As she was departing, she actually urges her daughter-in-laws to stay back. She's, she, she says to them, Go return, each of you, to your house. May the Lord deal with you kindly as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. We see at this point that, that the women do want to go back with her to the land of Judah. She doesn't want them to be widows for the rest of their life, though. She doesn't want them to go through the hardships that they will likely go through if they go back to Judah. It's, it's hard to remarry. She wanted them to give them a way out. She, she wished them to go back to the lands of their, their, their people and their gods. So she didn't truly think that God could save these women. There was a little lack of faith. Because knowing that they would go back to their gods, she, she asked that the Lord would bless them on their way back. 
but knowing that they were going to go back to their gods and their people, they were going to serve their gods and their people. They were not going to serve God if they would have stayed in Moab. So just kind of a, an interesting tidbit there. So at this point, Ruth and Orpah are contemplating on what to do. They both initially decide to stay with her. Um, but when Naomi insists that they really will have no benefit in going with her, uh, she, because she can't provide any more husbands for them, Orpah ends up saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back with, to my home, which is it's valid. Uh, and, but Ruth will not be parted from her mother-in-law. As it says, she, she clinged to her. She clinged to her mother. So after Orpah uh, had gone, Naomi continued to plead with Ruth. She was still like, you really don't need to go. You should just go back home. It's, it's going to be easier. Uh, I, I won't blame you. I, I would get it. I would do the same thing. But Ruth responds, and her response is, is pretty amazing. Uh, it says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back. Turn your back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and, and your God, my God. So here you see a real love for her mother-in-law. You see a real love for God in Ruth's actions. It's obvious that Ruth has no lasting inheritance in her hometown, but has been grafted into the family of God. She's tasted, tasted God's goodness and has been taught by Naomi uh, about the things of God. So they went back uh, to Bethlehem when they, when they returned. It said that the city, the city stirred um, because of them. People knew they were gone. Uh, they've only been gone for 10 years. Um, and it seemed like Naomi had some sort of correspondence with home as she knew that the famine had ceased. Uh, and people were talking about Naomi's return. They were probably wondering what had happened. They probably heard what had happened. They're wondering maybe why her husband or, and her sons weren't there. Um, and they, were probably, they probably heard of this Moabite woman and they were just talking. And, and the local woman asked when they arrived home, they said, is this Naomi? Like, like who is this, this woman? And she responded to them by saying, yeah, Naomi's bitter, she is bitter. Here's what she said. She said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So she was bitter uh, towards God. I, she, she went through a lot. She lost everything. Um, this had to be a big moment of, of humbling. Um, no one wants to return, return home defeated like she, she did. But she did return home. Um, Naomi returned home. She humbly returned to seek refuge from her people and from her God. At this point, Naomi could not see the goodness of God. She couldn't see any good coming out of this situation. It seemed pretty bleak. But by the end of the story, we will see God redeeming her life in ways that she would, would have never imagined. Which leads us into our, our next section, Ruth and Boaz. So when the two women arrive uh, back in Bethlehem, uh, it's harvest time, and Ruth gets permission from the servant in charge to follow the reapers 
so she can gather what remains in the field. Do, do you know what a reaper is? Reaper. They reap the harvest. Very good, yeah. <laughs> they reap the harvest. So she wanted to follow these guys who were reaping the harvest. So what does reaping the harvest mean? Gathering the harvest? Yeah. So they were gathering up and they would drop, drop uh, the harvest uh, sometimes, and she would gather the remains in the field. If we look back at Leviticus, this was, uh, this was the law of God providing for poor and strangers. Um, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any of the gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger, for I am the Lord your God. So this is Ruth. This is, this is Ruth and Naomi. They're the poor and not the stranger, but they're, they're poor and they, they need food and God is providing for them. We, we see Ruth here taking God's word to heart. We see her putting, putting it into action. And I think Ruth is a, could be a good example, example to us. She didn't wait around for Naomi to tell her what to do. She, she went and did the work that needed to be done. She went and provided for her and Naomi. And in going and gleaning from Boaz's field, she, she trusted the Lord that he will provide for them. So as Ruth, Ruth was gathering in the fields, um, she came along a portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, and this is where Boaz enters uh, our story here. Um, Boaz, the son of Salmon, and who? Do we know? Rahab? Yep. So who was Rahab? Just a little, little blurb. Yeah, she had the spies. She was a Canaanite prostitute who had the spies. And now she's in the line of David. It's pretty awesome. Um, so we know what we know about Boaz, son of Salmon and Rahab, they're a relative of Naomi by marriage. He comes to his fields and, and overlooks them. We know that Boaz was a righteous man. We know he treated his servants well. Uh, and he was observant. He was also, he was a wealthy guy. He had a lot of, a lot of wealth. So when he's uh, observing his, his, uh, his land, he sees Ruth gleaning, and he asks his servants who this was. And hearing that she was Ruth the Moabitess, who returned with Naomi, Boaz was happy to help her out because he has heard good things about Ruth. The word is spreading that Ruth is a child of God. So he looks with favor on her. He tells her to stay in his fields uh, with his maids and uh, who will keep him, her safe, uh, commands his servants not to touch her. Uh, so from the very beginning, Boaz was protecting her, providing for Ruth. This causes Ruth to, to fall on her face in thankfulness. And she asks, why? Why, why have you found favor in my sight? I'm a, I'm a Moabite. I'm a foreigner. And Boaz, Boaz doesn't see her as a Moabite. And here's Boaz's uh, response here to her. He says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz wanted Ruth to know 
that the one giving her the gift, the one rewarding her faith, was not him. It, it was God. He wanted her to know that God saw what Ruth has done in faith. She has left her family. She's left everything. She's left everything that she'd ever known to serve and follow Naomi and God. So Boaz watches out for Ruth. He keeps her safe. He also goes as far as arranging uh, more grain to be dropped by uh, his people and so she can pick it up and provide for Naomi and her. So she works daily in the fields, probably for a couple months throughout the harvest. And over this time, Ruth is bringing home her abundance of, of grain. She is um, telling Naomi about the goodness of Boaz to her. And this causes Naomi to think, kind of think of a plan to provide some sort of security for Ruth. Because um, at this point, Naomi and Ruth, they have no inheritance. Um, widows aren't included among those who can inherit property. So she needed to try and restore her husband's land through property redemption um, and through Leverite marriage. So first part of the plan is the buying back of the land. So Leviticus 25, uh, 25 through 27 says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So this is how they're going to go about doing this. Uh, they're going to have an, or try to have the nearest kinsman, which wasn't actually Boaz, but they're going to go and talk to Boaz to try to get him to be the redeemer of this land. And the second part of the, the plan requires the marriage of Ruth to a near kinsman through Leverite marriage. I'm probably butchering the name, but a Leverite marriage, we'll go with that. A Leverite marriage designates the duty of a man to marry a sonless widow of the deceased relative in order to restore the dead man's name and his inheritance. So this would, that the inheritance would eventually go to the, the son that, that the, uh, the two married, married would uh, procreate. So with that plan in mind, Ruth needs to find a rich family member of Elimelech in order to redeem the land and carry on the family name. So who could that be? Boaz. Yep. Naomi tells Ruth uh, to bathe, to get her best clothes on, and go visit Boaz at the threshing floor. What is that? Here's an example of a threshing floor. I don't know if that's Boaz's or not, but let's just say it is. Um, so the threshing floor is the place where grain was separated. Um, there were no machines back in the time. There's no John Deere tractors to, to beat all this stuff out. This was done manually. Um, the sheaves of grain were spread out over the floor. They would use their oxen, their cattle, wheels, their hands, their feet, just to, to, to separate this stuff. And then they would take those winnowing forks and throw, throw the, gra the grain in the air. The shaft would leave in the wind and the grain would stay on the floor. So during this process, Usually the person who owned the grain or the field would, would stay by the threshing floor in order to protect it and to oversee the, the harvest. This, this time was also a time of, of great celebration for the people of Israel. And each night of the harvest, they would celebrate to the Lord for his provision. So Naomi tells Ruth to go to this place, the, the threshing floor, 
wait until Boaz is finished eating and drinking, so after kind of the celebration, and until he's merry, is what she says, and after he lies down, then she's to uncover his feet and lay down by him. Kind of a bold move. I don't know about you, but I would, I would have a, little, a few questions about this plan. Um, some concerns, but what does Ruth do? She, she humbly obeys her mother-in-law. She, she does it. She bathes, she puts on her nice best dress, and she enters the, the threshing floor um, once Boaz has fallen asleep. She lies at his feet, and sometime throughout the night he startles awake, and he's like, who is that? <laughs> Who's at my feet? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And she uses those words, spread your wings over your servant. These are similar to the words that Boaz spoke of when she was when, uh, describing how Ruth came under the protection of God under whose wings she has come to take refuge. Like some think, this is not an invitation um, for immorality uh, on the part of Ruth, but it's, it's a formal proposal of marriage. Uh, Ruth wanted Boaz to redeem her and really Naomi's land. Ruth trusted. There you go. I was a little behind. Ruth uh, trusted that God would bless her through Boaz, as he's already done with providing food up to this point. So this bold action by Ruth could have been taken the wrong way by Boaz. First off, she was a Moabite. Does anyone know the origins of the Moabite people by chance? Yes, yeah, lots of daughters. So there was two daughters born um, after Sodom, they were like, all right, our line's done. What are we going to do? So they got their father drunk, and they had two babies with them, and that was the, the father of the Moabites and the father of the Ammonites. Secondly, she waits for him to have some drinks, and she approaches him at a pretty vulnerable time in a place that throughout the Old Testament was known to, to attract prostitutes. This the celebratory nature of the harvest, men eating, drinking, and they have money to spend. So this was, this was a, it could have, could have been taken the wrong way. But this was obviously not Ruth's intention. It was clear to Boaz that her, mo her motives were pure. He has heard of Ruth's faith. He has likely seen it um, over the time that she's been gleaning in his fields. And he actually praises Ruth for taking refuge in him. And he agrees to fulfill her wishes. Uh, he first has to talk to the man who is first in line to redeem Elimelech's property. So he tells her to go and wait for him to do this. And true to his word, Boaz is a, is a man of faith and, and he will do what he says. Uh, he takes the steps required by the law of God to see that the land of Elimelech and the wife of Elimelech's son, Ruth, are redeemed by the next of kin. So he finds the next of kin, along with ten elders um, as witnesses. Boaz asks him if he wants to redeem the land. And the next of kin, he, he is interested in redeeming the land. And then Boaz brings up the land comes with, comes with Ruth that you have to marry. And he's not so interested at that point, because it could jeopardize his existing inheritance. 
If Ruth bears a son, the kinsman and his family will lose a considerable amount of money uh, in buying the land that neither he nor his family can ever possess. So it's not really a, it's not good for business, this, this plan. But, uh, so the, kin, the kinsman decides to let Boaz redeem. So as is custom in Israel, the man removes his sandal. That's how they, you know, made a deal. Remove the sandal in front of witnesses. And uh, after that metal, after the matter was settled, um, the elders of the town gave their blessing. Uh, and here's what they said. They said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So God brought this young, insignificant woman from Moab to be a great woman of faith. And as we see, she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. And this leads us into our last little section, which is the line of King David. So after they get married, Boaz and Ruth have a son, as we talked about, Obed. And interestingly enough, Naomi becomes Obed's nurse. She nurses uh, her grandson. And the neighborhood woman gave him this name, Obed. And they said that a son has been born to Naomi. So it's kind of interesting that um, throughout all this, Naomi has, has been redeemed. Um, the people were rejoicing with Naomi. They were rejoicing in God's goodness to her, uh, God turned her hopeless situation into rejoicing, which is amazing. And the book of Ruth closes by showing how, showing how in the providence of the Almighty God, uh, the family fits into the ancestral line of, the, of King David and in turn the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. As Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of David. So what a great redemption story that is. Uh, God's provision and providential workings are evident here in the book. God keeps his promises to his people. Even in the dark times, God uses uh, this story to show that he truly controls all things and all people. This story is an encouragement to us, knowing that we have been grafted in and adopted into God's family, just like Ruth. So now we're going to be getting into Christ and his church, where we see Christ and his church here in Ruth. Um, first, we're going to talk about Ruth as, as a type of the Gentile church. So we have a, good, a really cool symbol uh, in Ruth. Her story shows us God's love for the world beyond the Jews. It demonstrates God's amazing grace in reaching out to those who are enemies of him. Ruth was a Moabitess. The law of God, it actually excluded her. In Deuteronomy, it says, an, Anamite, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. So she was not supposed to be there. But God's grace is sufficient. She was a stranger away from God. Ephesians 2, 12, 13 says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Sorry. Where am I? Having no hope 
and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. So we were and are just like Ruth was. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of the promise. But like Ruth, we are no longer strangers, but fellow citizens and members of the household of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a, really an amazing promise and picture that we were able to see here. Her actions uh, really embody what it says here in, in Psalm 45, 10 through 11. It says, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. She, she did just that. Ruth, Ruth forgot her people. She left her father's house to, to be with God. That's why she clinged to Naomi. She, she clinged to God's promises and she turned from father and mother from her home because God was her Lord and is her Lord. Um, then we see Boaz as a type of Christ. Um, so the kinsman redeemer, as we talked about, they, they, must, they must be a blood relative, must be able to pay the price of redemption and must look with kindness upon the poor and needy. Boaz desired to help. Boaz saw his duty to redeem Ruth. She was poor and needy, and he redeemed her. He didn't have to, but Boaz was able, and he was willing to redeem. Boaz is a small, imperfect picture of how Christ redeems his people. We are poor and needy. Everything we do is filthy rags apart from Christ. And while we were enemies, he died for us. He paid the price for our sins by his spilt blood. And he was able to pay the price because he was fully, fully human, yet without sin. He is the perfect, spotless lamb, the perfect and final sacrifice. Hebrews 2 says that, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise share in the same, in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sin of the people. Christ had to be made like us in order to redeem us so that he will be merciful and faithful high priest. The kinsman redeemer was willing to redeem just like the Lord was willing to redeem. Jesus wasn't forced to do anything. It says in Galatians, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay, down, lay it down my, of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So the Lord was not forced to do anything. To not, he was not forced to die on the cross, but he did it willingly. All right, getting into application. So how do we apply this book to our lives? First application point is providence. The ordinary outworking of providence, as I said earlier, is the underlying theme of this book. God and his perfect providence are clearly seen. So what ways do you see God's providence in Ruth? I mean, she commits herself to, to 
God and God provides. Yeah. Because her husband gives her back Naomi's land. And yeah. Crazy story. Yeah. Only, only done by the power of God. Yeah. Any other ways? Do you see God's providence in the story of Ruth? Yeah. He does that a lot. <laughs> he's power. He's powerful. What? His strength is... Help me out. In our weakness, he's made strong. There we go. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. He doesn't need our power. Sam? Um, he honored her. He blesses Ruth for honoring her mom. Yeah. Like, it, it seems like an obscure, kind of different way to do, do something, but... Because she honors her mom. She blesses her. Yeah. Yeah, it made you're talking about when Naomi told her to go to the threshing floor? Yeah, and we had a speech. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. He does bless her through that. Yeah, Steve. So God's providence was within his law. Mm-hmm. His law actually enabled the providence. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. very good. His providence is in his law. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of ways we see God's providence here in Ruth. It wasn't that Ruth just so happened upon the field that Boaz was at. It, it was because God wanted it to happen. Um, there's a clear implication of the involvement of the Lord in guiding and leading Ruth um, to meet Boaz. God works all things together, not some things we know this from Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Ruth was called by God. God's name occurs 23 times in this short story. 23 times. This shows us God's ongoing work in the life of ordinary people. There, there, there are no miracles in this story. There's no heavenly relation, revelations, no prophecies. And yet there's a strong sense of, of God's purpose and his providence. So I, I, for us, I think we need to look for the hand of God in our own lives. He cares for us, he sustains us, and he provides for us. And we need to realize that God truly does all things and works all things for the good of those who love him. He cares for us. He cares not only for the big things in our lives, but he cares for the small things too. Proverbs uh, 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your, straight, he will make your path straight. It doesn't say acknowledge him in the big things. It doesn't say go to him only when you need him. If you're like me, and I'm sorry if, if you are, you, you think you can handle the little stuff. The small problems of the day. Mower breaks down. It's all good. I can fix it. God has been giving me a lot of seemingly small stuff lately to help me to realize that I cannot handle it without him. And that's what he does. And that's, we need to realize that we need God all day, every day, throughout the whole time. So this story is a great example of this and should be convicting for us. Do we give... God credit for the little things throughout the day or ask God for wisdom in the little things? Do we look back at the way God has worked in our lives and drop to our knees 
in prayer and praise. Just some things to think about. Uh, another application point, probably the last one we'll go over, um, is true conversion. We do see a, a pretty cool example of a life changed in Ruth. Um, so how do we know that Ruth has faith? How do we know her life, that she was someone of faith? I think in her response to Naomi, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. She's yeah. leaving her gods and her people uh-huh. and following. Yeah. So she, she obeys. She, she simply does what God wants her to do. Yeah, that's, that's a good indication that someone is following the Lord. They're obeying his word. Yep. Yeah, in Matthew 7, we will know them by their fruit. We should see a, a life that is truly changed. Uh, change of priorities, less sinning, joy, peace, love, all the fruits of the Spirit. Obedience to God's word. So Ruth goes from serving the gods of, of her people, uh, worshiping idols, to serving the one true God. It demonstrates her rejection of her past allegiances and commitments. Um, Jesus says in Matthew that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting right, everlasting life. And Ruth did just that. We see simple obedience, not, not simple in the sense that it's easy, uh, because obedience to God's word isn't often easy. It, it often takes boldness. But simple in the sense that the answer is often clear. Um, R- Ruth left everything she ever knew to follow God. The disciples dropped what they were doing and they followed Jesus. So how do we need to change in this area? We, when we let God's word guide our decisions... It often comes down to to simple obedience to his commands. Are we seeking to glorify God or are we seeking to glorify ourselves? Uh, Or seeking our own comfort? Because a lot of times it's a lot more comfortable to just, you know, not do the things of God. To sit at home and be by yourself. It's, It's easier. So Ruth is a great example to us of a true life changed are we a, a good example of a true life change to the people around us? Not just the churchgoers, but to the non-believers, to the poor and to the needy. Um, just something to think about um, as we finish up here. I have a few things to go over, but I don't have enough time. So does anyone have comments about Ruth? Questions? You know that uh, before Boaz got married, he was pretty mean because he was ruthless. He was ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. I do. Any other comments? <laughs> I don't think we can end on that. <laughs> I will. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'll I'll cite I'll cite you. Free dad joke just for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I said, uh, Boaz, before he got married, was really mean. A lot of people don't know because he was ruthless. (laughs) It is a day. It is a day. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is a dead, it confirmed. That is a dead joke, yeah. Any other <coughs> thoughts, comments? I encourage you to read it over. It's, I know I just told you a lot about it. Read it again. It's, it's an easy read. It's a good read. Um, Sam, can you pray for us? Thank you. Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.